Howdy, y'all, and welcome back to Comfort and Chaos. Today's interview is part two in a series about obsessive compulsive disorder. And in today's episode, I interview my own therapist, Medina Alam. Medina is a licensed mental health counselor um, who specializes in OCD and anxiety disorders. She also works for NoCD, which is an organization that specifically focuses on treating OCD with ERP, which is a type of therapy we talk about in the episode. Medina has her own private practice. You can find her on Psychology Today, and I'll be linking her Instagram in the bio as well if you want to see her methodologies and get in touch with her. Medina is also a certified yoga teacher, so she has some background with mindfulness practices and body movement and those type of things. So it's cool how we talk about in the episode how uniquely intertwined mindfulness is with treating OCD. It's really just comes down to terminology. Anyhow, you'll hear for yourself soon enough. This was an incredible conversation. I hadn't talked to Medina or been to therapy with her in over two years. So it was great just to catch up and to see in my own self how far I've come with OCD in understanding just how to navigate this, well, frankly, chaotic and uncomfortable diagnosis. So it was a really beneficial conversation for myself, and I hope it benefits a lot of you listening today. Thank you guys so much for listening, and it really helps me if you rate and review the podcast and even reach out to me and give me your thoughts. It helps me continue to do this and to continue to bring on wonderful and helpful guests. So thank y'all so much and enjoy my conversation with my therapist, Medina Alam. We all are here together just to learn about ourselves and how we can take care of everybody else. Living on a planet that is circling the drain, we do the best we can to not just go insane. It's all right medina welcome to the podcast thanks for having me it's good to see you i know it's been it's been a long time and that's a good thing (laughs) (laughs) it's it's funny too like i was just thinking right before we got on this of like to have an actual hour to just talk to you because with OCD therapy, that's the opposite of what you get to do with your therapist. You know, Mm -hmm. we can talk about that later, but how you don't actually get to, you're not supposed to just talk about your issues. We're supposed to get down to the brass tacks of dealing with the patterns. So it's nice to like have an actual conversation with you. Yeah, it'll it'll definitely be interesting. I'll have to uh, refrain myself from walking anyone through a behavioral exercise for the yeah. next 60 minutes. Well, you're still welcome to call me out on like <laughs> intrusive thought. Or like, that seems like a compulsion. <laughs> no, I'll keep my lips sealed for this one. <laughs> well, so to get started, if you just want to kind of tell the listeners about yourself, kind of how you got into this mental health journey, you know. From, from the beginning. 
Oh, gosh. Um, I won't go all the way from the beginning. That might be a long yeah, story. Not, not but... birth, but, you know, like, how did you, you know, get into... <laughs> How did you get into, you know, wanting to be in the mental health field? And then how did that lead into being a more OCD specific therapist? Yeah. So it's interesting. Right before I uh, went to grad school, I was actually going to be a lawyer. Um, and I last minute decided to become a mental health therapist. I honestly, in all transparency, couldn't tell you why. I just decided to go that track. Um and I worked with a lot of different disorders for quite some time. And I always kind of say OCD treatment fell into my lap um, because I was sought out by the company I work for. Um, someone had recruited me. They saw me on Psychology Today. And then when I you know, got to hear about the company and the type of treatment, I really truly fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, I have a strong background in yoga. And so a lot of the philosophy that we teach in exposure response prevention um, is very similar to yoga philosophy. Um, but yeah, so now I do, I still do a decent amount of therapy, but I'm also one of the directors at no CD. So I help like manage and train and, yeah. um, everything like that. So I do a lot of different things. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I mean, I, it's cool that it kind of fell into your lap. I wish I could say the same for OCD treatment for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like <laughs> thrust into my lap after years and years of uh resisting it <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah so you said you kind of started with the foundation in, in yoga and yoga is very you know associated and tied into like mindfulness and these kinds of things mm-hmm. so how do you feel like that foundation and, and mindfulness translated really well into to dealing with people with OCD the concepts are literally the same. So before I uh, even knew about exposure response prevention, I was literally reading a book called Comfortable with Uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Is that <laughs> Pema like the same thing. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember if I had mentioned that to you uh, previously, but it's the same philosophy. It's just obviously using different terms. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because even today, before we got in this call, I was, you know, you know, wondering what the conversation would be like. And I was just reading a book called crap. I'm blanking on the name. Uh, it's that Thich Nhat Hanh book about being happy. It's a book about happiness, right? Yeah. And the whole book is literally about how do you respond to uncomfortable situations? Uh-huh. Um, and so just everything. And, you know, obviously Thich Nhat Hanh is very, uh, popular in the yoga community. Yeah. And so there's just so much overlap. There's so many similarities. And I think like as a therapist, there's nothing more amazing than like truly believing what you're teaching people and also like truly seeing it work. Yeah. Um, I always say I would never do another type of treatment because a lot of treatment is ineffective, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, talk to me about the types of ineffective treatments and like well, maybe maybe let's let's take a step back and for people that might just not be familiar with OCD in general, give me your you know elevator pitch of <laughs> OCD as if as if we're pitching OCD as like this great <laughs> business idea. But give me a little like three sentence um, definition of OCD in your words. Yeah, no, it's it's a good question because as you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about what OCD is. So I think a proper definition is not like put out there often enough. Right, um, I think so, like we get it a lot from like the movies of like the '90s and early 2000s of these characters that are 
quirky and like to mm-hmm. keep their their things in a certain color pattern or they like mm-hmm. to sweep crumbs off of the desk and that that makes them so OCD, right? Mm-hmm. But why yeah. is it not that or how is it not that? I mean, it, it can look like that, but it can look like so much more. So a person with OCD has what we call intrusive or unwanted thoughts, images, urges, sensations, even feelings. Um, and it causes that person a lot of distress. And so therefore they engage in what we call compulsion. So it's either a mental or a physical ritual or behavior that's done to uh, make them feel like they're preventing a fear from happening or make them um, feel less anxious. And yeah. because that becomes so cyclical, it starts to interfere with their life. So any disorder in the DSM, there's there's a commonality between every disorder and that is it has to present impairment for the individual. Right. So... Um, Again, interfering with like work, relationships, family, self-care. So that that's essentially the definition. There's four different types of like main subtypes you can have OCD. Um, yeah, like contamination and symmetry is typically what people think of with OCD, like organizing a closet or being really, really um, aware of germs. Sure. But it can manifest in just any sort of intrusive or unwanted thought about like something bad happening to themselves or another person or, you know, uh, what if I'm a pedophile? What if I'm a murderer? What if I'm attracted to my sister? And those are the taboo topics that no one really talks about. I talk Um, about them all the time. (laughs) Yes. Yes. As you should. And I think, you know, that's a big reason why I love treating this disorder too is the amount of suffering you see individuals go through because they just don't even know what's going on because it's not talked about. Um, and it's to normalize it for anyone listening who might have these thoughts, like literally everyone has intrusive thoughts. I joke, but not really. I have the most intrusive thoughts I've ever had in my entire life because I hear them all day. Um, (laughs) and so, you know, everyone has these thoughts. It's more again about how we're responding to them. Right. That's a great definition. And I recorded an episode prior to this one, kind of just telling my own story. And it's kind of how I defined it in my own way is that everybody has these intrusive thoughts, you know, like you're driving down the road and you have this weird thought to like, well, what if I just swerved off this bridge or whatever, right? We've all had that that weird thought and most, most I want to say average, but, you know, there's no such thing. But most healthy people can just kind of disregard that thought, move on, and it never really occurs to them again. And it's not this deep, what does it mean kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But when you have OCD, that's actually exactly what it is, is you you sit mm-hmm. and you ruminate and you're like, well, what does this mean? And what kind of awful person am I? Or, you know, you start to build a, a narrative and a, a fixation on this intrusive thought, and then it becomes a story, and then it becomes a uh, anxiety attack, a panic mm-hmm. attack, and then you have to do whatever it takes to get out of the panic attack. And OCD mm-hmm. brains have this mechanism that is just really handy, which is compulsions. And we think, oh yeah, this will get me, this will this will get me out of this, and that's all that really matters right now. And um, mm-hmm. that cycle is OCD. And mm-hmm. I think what a lot of people and myself didn't understand was that that we were in a cycle. And that mm-hmm. there was a pathway out of it. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me about, yeah, those, well, let's go back to those treatments that don't work, right? You know, mm-hmm. talk therapy or or whatever it is that, why doesn't that have the same effect on OCD as it does for generalized anxiety or mm-hmm. other things? 
Well, I might be as bold to actually say, I think behavioral therapy and not talk therapy is actually, in my opinion, preferred over for a lot of things, not just OCD. Yeah. Um, because really what you're speaking to right now is like that tendency for us as humans to spiral and try to assign meaning or try to figure out or to understand. And at the end of the day, understanding and this is not meant to sound sound callous but like understanding what happened when you were seven years old with like your I don't know your dad or whatever like yeah we can recognize that we've were uh, a product of what's what we've experienced but understanding how it interacts with who we are today I don't know is super effective Mm -hmm. other than maybe like I don't know a one-hour session of doing that and just feeling heard but then beyond that which is why uh, a lot of talk therapy becomes is like session upon session of like trying to figure out why you are the way you are um, versus understanding and accepting who you are Mm. and not over pathologizing it. So I think I just kind of wanted to like lay that out there. It might not be the most popular opinion for people. It's a hot take, but I like it. (laughs) Yeah. Cause think of it too. Like we're, we have so much access to Google and like, I think like the younger generation right now are they're coming literally to me telling me what they have because they've Googled it, right? There's a lot of over pathologizing. And even when you talk about intrusive thoughts, we have to remember that with OCD and really anything, we have intrusive feelings all the time. The amount of times people, and I do this myself, I was doing it earlier today because I was feeling tired and fatigued and I was like, why do I feel this way? And it's like, wait a second. We don't need to know why we feel a certain way mm-hmm. necessarily, right? And because we're trying to figure out why we feel a certain way, we're yeah. then then we're starting to pathologize it at that point versus if we just accepted that sometimes things feel uncomfortable or uncertain. Right. Right. Um, I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but the the whole point is um, because someone with an anxiety disorder is already ruminating, mm-hmm. bringing them to a session where you're encouraging rumination is not helpful. Right. Um, rumination feels like problem solving and it's not. Yes. And it gets in the way of living your life, which is what is the whole goal of OCD treatment is that you're engaged in life and not trying to figure it out preemptively. Yes. Crucial. Yeah. Cause I think with OCD and, and just life in general, when you, when you exist in your mind a lot, you think you're really productive. You're like, I mean, I've put in some of my hardest work days <laughs> just as an unemployed person with OCD. Yeah. It's tiring. <laughs> yeah. Like eight hour shifts of like, no, I'm figuring this out. Like I, I know mm-hmm. that I have a cancer, but we're going to figure out today which one it is. Right. <laughs> And it's like in your mind, you're like, yeah, this is totally what I should be doing and it's productive and I'm, you know, finding all these answers. It's great, but you're just digging a hole and you're not living, Mm -hmm. like you said, you're not living your life presently in the moment, Mm -hmm. which is the moment is inherently insecure, you know, Mm because it's like we don't have the, we don't, we don't have the information of the past or, or really any knowledge of the future when you're just mm-hmm. kind of living presently and when you need that certainty, which people with OCD feel that they need, that's terrifying. And mm-hmm. so we create all these different mechanisms and d- diving into the past because it's like, oh, this is something I can hold on to. This is something I can still identify with without having to face the uncomfortable reality of not knowing. So like, I, I agree with you on like that I think in my case scenario, and there has been things where it's like, 
putting together a bit of childhood context is helpful yeah. to like, mm, how did I start to form these patterns of obsession or whatever? But that doesn't change where I'm at today and, and where I, what tools I use to like deal with my problems now. That's for sure. Yeah, it's so much acceptance. Like I think ERP is acceptance of who you are. Yeah. And I tell people this all the time when I treat them specifically for an anxiety disorder. So much research shows that people who have anxiety disorders are found to be slightly more intelligent and more creative. I can agree and with that. <laughs> of course, right? Um, <laughs> but I, it's important because that's there's strength in in being anxious, right? And it makes sense, right? Someone who's anxious is literally coming up with this very intricate detailed scenario yeah. of something that could happen. Very creative. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it, that's a really good skill to have, but let's just make sure we're like putting it into the right categories, if you will. Yeah. Um, there's pros and cons to being more anxious, temperamented and not being right. And I right. think again, so much in my opinion of mental health has become individuals over pathologizing something that doesn't need to be over pathologized. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really, that's a th something that needs to be spoken on. Cause I think like that's not really mm -hmm. talked about on Instagram as it's, you know, you don't see as many reels of people mm -hmm. talking about like not pathologizing. It's all pathologizing now. Like, right. you, you, you know, and I, again, I think there is a, it's a small place for that but it's become this thing of like it's an avoidance tactic at this point mm -hmm. to not deal with what's happening right now mm -hmm. so i think it's a great I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up no i and i i feel like because i've done several podcasts and i have a lot of non-conventional views on a lot of different things um but i mean i've posted it on my instagram too it's like yeah. most days are not good and i don't say that to sound pessimistic but like we can't expect life to be this like exhilarating rush every day. And oh, that's yeah. not, it's not bad that life lives. I think I say it kind of like as a medium. Mm -hmm. um, and again, when we're trying to always, you know, be super excited, that's why people are turning to things that are numbing behaviors, right? It could be a compulsion, yeah. but it could also be, you know, alcohol could be making a poor decision. It could be right. risky behaviors. Um, but again, if we realize that, you know, discomfort, uncertainty, mundaneness, if that's even yeah. a word. It's a thing. That's oh, yeah. like life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think there's this, yeah, there's this idea that if I just find the right answers, if I just go to the right mm -hmm. therapy, if I just delete all my trauma somehow, like then life mm -hmm. will just be good forever. And that's mm -hmm. so not true. And it is so much more about, like you said, just accepting that every day you're going to feel a myriad of emotions. Mm -hmm. And like sometimes like, between the hours of one and three, I tend to just feel like, what is life? I don't know what I'm doing. Ah, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and then at five o'clock I'm back on top. Like, you know, it, you just, that's just part of being human and letting mm -hmm. things come and go. Um, but yeah, this idea that we can just somehow be permanently mm -hmm. good or, 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 free from suffering is that's not the answer like you said acceptance is so much more the pathway to freedom mm -hmm. i was actually having this conversation with my sister last night because she also suffers with ocd um well i don't want to actually diagnose her because she needs <laughs> to seek out that but you know we're we're we know each other well enough and i'm you know it's it's characteristic of ocd anyway <laughs> um 
and we were just talking about some things and I was talking about like how my own personal transformation with intrusive thoughts and uncomfortable feelings and that, you know, desire to jump back into a cycle of rumination or Googling or whatever it is, is that I can just cut it off at the pass right away. No matter if it's like really triggering or really scary, by just saying the words, I can accept this. Like in, in my mm -hmm. mind, all I have to do is just say, I can accept this. And like suddenly it doesn't make the anxiety or any of the things just like turn into, you know, fluffy pillows or whatever, but it changes your relationship and your separation from those feelings and, and thoughts. And it's just mm -hmm. like, well, I can accept it. Even if it's mm -hmm. the thought that like, well, you're probably going to develop schizophrenia. You're probably going to go insane. You're never going to come mm -hmm. back from this. And you just hear that thing going. You just, I can accept that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as ludicrous mm -hmm. as that sounds, like I would never want to accept that. But if you can just give yourself to that and say, okay, mm -hmm. something weird happens. And, and so that kind of leads me into asking like about ERP, which is kind of this practice of, it's a more standardized you know, practice of that exact thing I just talked about. What What is ERP and why is it the gold standard in, in NoCD's terms? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and thanks for sharing that. I think those are some, uh, you know, good tools that you're implementing on a daily basis and you're choosing to implement, which is, is really cool because ERP is a choice. So exposure response prevention, which is what ERP stands for, is... Um, literally re-exposing individuals to things that they're scared of and helping them choose a different response. And I say choose because it is a choice. And again, this might be a non-conventional um, thing that maybe people won't like hearing, but compulsions are a choice. And so yeah. you're essentially teaching the individual that they have a choice and they have that autonomy and that empower, they, they can be empowered to not do the compulsion. Um, so it sounds really simple, but it's obviously it's hard because yes. you're not doing the thing that makes you feel better in the moment. So a compulsion um, is they exist because they do help momentarily, but yes. long term, they actually instill more fear and doubt in the individual. So, you know, seeking reassurance, ruminating, Googling, checking, cleaning, all yeah. of, anything we do to make ourselves feel better in the moment is worse for us in the long term. And again, this because again, I just think uh, ERP is applicable to more than OCD. So like think of yes. if you, we all have bad habits, right? It could be, again, you know, substances, alcohol, food, poor decisions, bad relationships, right? Yes. Those are all things that are done in the moment to make us feel better. Um, the reason ERP is so helpful for OCD is because the place in the brain where fear lives doesn't understand language. And so right. you're walking the individual through, um, exercises behaviorally. So that's why, you know, you and I were joking in the beginning, we we're going to talk and that's so weird because we're <laughs> used to doing behavioral stuff, but that's because you can't talk someone out of being scared. Yeah. You can only show them that they can handle it. And that's why your phrase is probably really helpful. You're like, I can accept this. It's because you're trusting that you'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, and acceptance is probably along with the word forgiveness. I think a lot of times we skew what it means. Acceptance doesn't mean you would love it if you had right. schizophrenia. It just means you know that you can't control if you get schizophrenia or not. Right. Um, if anyone could control that, no one would have it because I'm sure no one would want it. <laughs> right. Um, 
so it's yeah um but yeah it's a it's a good type of treatment that's really effective i think for more than just ocd i agree Uh, you know and you know i don't need to talk about oh if i jinx it because that that's an ocd thought in itself but um (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know like i consider myself in somewhat of like a post ocd reality for myself um and just Mm -hmm. in the sense that i feel as if i'm the type of person that yeah i get intrusive thoughts like everybody else but i don't cooperate in the cycles any longer and so um to me, ERP is is so still so effective, even when I'm not having these cycles mm-hmm. and need to like break them in extreme ways. It's like those little those little phrases or those little commitments into the thing that seems harder, that seems not worth doing when you could just mm-hmm. do a compulsion and easily, you know, I say easily, compulsions make your life so much harder, mm-hmm. but that could easily erase the bad feeling for a moment. Um, which I think early on in, in my OCD journey and a lot of people's OCD journey, that seems impossible. And it mm-hmm. seems so counterintuitive because you're in love with your compulsions. They are your pathway to safety at the fastest rate. Mm-hmm. Whereas ERP takes some time to feel safe to say something like, I am going to get schizophrenia. I am going to become you know, in, in, in invalid, I'm going to not know what reality is anymore. Like to say those things out loud when you are in the, the early throes of OCD is like mm-hmm. so impossible. So to anyone that's like on that journey or wants to go on that journey and thinks it's just impossible, it's not. It just takes a lot more time and commitment than doing your quick compulsion and being comfortable for like two hours, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, that's such a good point. And my like not that you're necessarily asking me for a tip but I think something that's helpful in that process is compassion right I mean you said it there's a function to the compulsion and so instead of like a lot of times I hear people like beating themselves up over engaging in something that makes them feel better and again remember people without OCD do this all the time that's why people drink let's be honest right you've had a hard day I need a glass of wine or whatever right and so it does it takes a lot of um, strength to choose to not do your compulsion. But, and I think the biggest thing that gets in people's way is they really don't think they have a choice. Like Medina, I was just unconsciously doing it or, um, I can't, I can't right that word. And I always say you won't. And I say that with the most compassion people like, Oh my God, you say that to your clients. (laughs) Like, yes, because it would be a disservice to them to tell them that they, to agree that they can't. Like, I, yeah. I don't want to invalidate how hard it is, but you said it yourself too, is doing compulsions is also hard. So whether or not you do a compulsion or not, or do whatever the the quick relief behavior is, life can get hard sometimes. Yes. And again, if we could avoid it, life, everyone's life would be roses and flowers, but yeah. that's not how it works. Right. Um, and so, yeah, and you said this earlier too, you're saying so many good nuggets. Um, you're, you're creating a different relationship with what it means to suffer or to have uncertainty or discomfort. Again, it doesn't mean that you love it or you prefer it. It just means that, you know, it's part of being human. Right. Right. And it's just like, I know you're, uh, also into fitness and personal health and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's the same metaphor of when you start getting into, say like running or weightlifting and you're mm-hmm. like, ah, this is like really hard and I just want to go back to sitting on the couch or whatever. 
And there's nothing wrong with sitting on the couch. I love couches. I love relaxing, you know, like, um, but what your goal, if your goal is to get stronger, if your goal is to be a more capable person, be a healthier person, well, Mm -hmm. the only way to do that is to go to the gym, is to go run, Mm -hmm. you know, and the same for your mental health and OCD is if, if your goal is to be free, it's okay to sometimes, you know, like, act out a compulsion. Don't beat yourself up and create a whole nother shame cycle. Mm. But to get into the hard work, to, to do the ERP, to, to expose yourself to what makes you uncomfortable, that's where the freedom is. And mm-hmm. it's so hard to, yeah, it's just like, I mean, I'm a terrible runner and that's a bad metaphor for me because I don't <laughs> run. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> but for people that get into running, it's the same thing, right? It's like you, if you want to get free, if you want to get strong, you have to do the hard thing. And mm-hmm. it doesn't seem worth it at first, but it really, it really is. Yeah. I love workout analogies. I use it in the same respect as um, if you went to a personal trainer and you talked about working out, mm-hmm. you would probably be pissed, right? Yeah. You'd be like, why am I talking about work? You go to a personal trainer and they physically take you through the exercises. Your therapist should be doing that. And again, this is more than just for OCD, like anything, like say to like someone's listening to this and they're feeling sad or low, which I feel like is almost always present with OCD too, because it's depressing to have OCD, um, when you don't have it managed and, um, you want to get out of that sadness. And even if you're not like clinically depressed, this is a good tip to use when you're feeling sad, act in opposition, right? It's physically getting up and doing the dishes or getting outside for a walk. It doesn't, again, like you said, uh, what was the term you used? Fluffy pillows. It's not like fluffy (laughs) pillows at the end of the day, but you managed it better. And, you know, just to bring it back to like over pathologizing, it's like at the end of the day, yeah, life is going to ebb and flow. And I think with people who are in treatment, they get this sense of like, uh, frustration. Like I have to do this for the rest of my life. I have to do ERP for the rest of my life, Medina. And I'm like, everyone technically does ERP every day, right? We wake up every day and we have no idea what the heck is going to happen. Yeah. And so it's not a death sentence. No, like Um, living, going out into the world is exposing yourself to things that are uncomfortable mm -hmm. and uncertain. So yeah. ideally, yes, you're doing exposure and response prevention as long as you're breathing. <laughs> yeah. And it's like even to the point where like, and I've joked with people like, we could, we could just sit on your couch for the rest of your life and maybe yeah. you want to worry about anything. But then I'd have a feeling maybe there would be a worry like what if a bullet came through the wall of the apartment next door <laughs> to me and I died from that, right? Yes. Or, so, or like... Now I'm going to die because I haven't moved. And now I have some condition in my legs because I haven't moved. Right. Right, I don't know. It will always find a way. Well, you know, and that's (laughs) something I've talked to people about. And it's it's actually I don't know if it's amazing or it's remarkable or whatever. It's worth mentioning that I have so many friends who are diagnosed with OCD. Like and Mm -hmm. I live on a very small island and the mm. people like within my 50 mile radius I've got like four friends who also have OCD which is it's nice to have that community and mm-hmm. you know everyone's at a different place with it um but how when we all share our struggles with it it's amazing how OCD can find its way no matter what life scenario you're in or whatever and so like what's the deal with that why does OCD find a way to attack or attached to the things you care about the most. You know, like even if you're just sitting on your couch and you care about sitting on your couch and being home at safe and then suddenly you have an intrusive thought of 
someone coming into your home? Like, mm-hmm. what's the deal with OCD coming to uh, after the things you care about? Mm-hmm. Well, if you didn't care about it, you, OCD wouldn't exist, right? Because there's things that um, happen in your day that you could hypothetically worry about, but it's probably not your top value. And that's why you're able to accept the uncertainty around it. Yeah. So OCD is very tricky in that way. And it just, I think it always tries to stay on top because you were kind of mentioning before you asked that question too, was it's like almost no matter what the circumstances are, you'll if you allow it, OCD will find a way to twist and turn it. Um, and I see this all the time when, um, someone comes to session, they're like, Oh, I had a really good week. And I'm like, what happened? And they were like, well, I didn't really have my work stress that I normally had. And I'm, I'm always first to call OCD out and I'm like, "Mm, I'm going to guess there's been times in your life where work hasn't been stressful, but you still worried a ton. And they're like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, and I bring it back to this concept of choosing, right? It sounds like this past week you chose not to ruminate and to Google. Right. Um, it's not, it doesn't have, and I, and I say that because I don't ever want the reason you didn't engage in a compulsion be because of some external situation. Right. It's because you made the conscious choice to, or not to do your compulsion. And I think that's where you need to come from if you're going to be successful in treatment. Mm, That's a very good point. Yeah. And that's, uh something I've sat with myself is, is that we can really get caught up in the, the topic of it. Right. Cause there are, mm-hmm. you know, there are so many topics of OCD and it's kind of great when I first kind of stumbled upon OCD, which ironically happened from Googling other compulsions and like, want to be the first person. <laughs> yeah. My compulsion led me to my diagnosis, um, <laughs> which was kind of like a weird, like strange, but euphoric moment of like, aha, people are like me. Um, it was crazy to see how many specific subtypes and topics there are that like, there's enough people that struggle with this certain type, whether it's, uh, harm OCD or pedophilia OCD or whatever it is, um, that there are these kind of like camps that people fall into and can hop from one to the other throughout their life. But in a harsh way of saying it, it doesn't really matter. Like the the topic mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. It's the fact that your relationship to your compulsions and are gonna be the same reaction and anxiety provoking thing, regardless of what the topic is. So kind of like learning how to decouple. Well, if it's about harm, then I need to do everything I you know to not deal with harm objects anymore or whatever. It's 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 not that. It's 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 inside of you and that that ERP is more about just the internal mechanism, not the external forces that are bringing it on. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you can't stop again. You can't stop the world from exposing you to things that make you uncomfortable, but, yeah. you, but you can, you can change your relationship to those things. And that's where like the real freedom starts to happen, which is a cool moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, OCD has a lot of tricks. That's why it jumps from topic to topic. Because it's like, oh my God, wait, what do I do with this? And it's like, no, you use the same skill. Yeah. And if you really look at the meat of it, usually if the topic jumps, it doesn't, it still boils down to the same fear. Yeah. And that's the work that the individual has to do with themselves. Um, You know, is it a fear that you're going to end up alone and no one's going to be around you? Is it a fear that like 
Honestly, that's probably what 99% of the things boil down to is you're going to end up alone, right? Even if it's like your loved one is going to die. Okay, well, if your loved one dies, what does that mean? Well, then that means I'm going to be sad. And okay, if you're going to be sad, what's that going to mean? Well, I'm going to isolate and I'm not going to have any friends. I'm going to be really depressed the rest Mm. of my life, right? Right. Um, And that makes sense because the number one reason we're here as humans is to feel connected. So if I'm alone and ostracized, it's going to suck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, then it's like that. The ultimate aloneness, which is like your own death or whatever, is this feeling of like, well, I'll just, then I'll just die. And then like, you know, yeah, that's, I think for me, at least, that's totally the undercurrent of all of my OCD mm-hmm. control issues and whatever is this, this desire to have some sense of knowing permanence, connection, um, mm-hmm. and not being able to just sit back and relax and go, enjoy the ride, knowing it's going to end. So that's a, that's a tough one, but it's a worthwhile mm-hmm. thing to ponder <laughs> or to mm-hmm. not even ponder to just accept. Yeah. I was like, wait, <laughs> we don't want to ponder that one. We're using here. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it makes sense. Cause it's, uh, what you're really saying is how anxiety and OCD is such a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like it makes on, on the surface, it doesn't make a ton of sense to worry about when you're going to die because in a way you're kind of dead because maybe your body is physically here, but you're spending the entire time worrying about yeah. what it's going to be like when you're gone and you're not here. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you see it all the time, even with like every type, like relationship OCD, I see it all the time, right? The best way to know if your partner is for you is to fully engage with them. Right. <laughs> and you're going based off the same data everyone else has. Yep. No one knows if that is their person. We'll never know. Right. But let's be present with them. Yes. <laughs> Which in that moment seems terrifying. I've been there too. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I don't have much of your time. So I wanted to let the rest of the conversation kind of um, change over into some questions that some people had that they sent to me. Okay. Um, I actually went on the No CD app for anybody who is feels like they're struggling with OCD or um, I'll, I'll put all the resources to get in touch with NoCD. Um, they're a great resource. They have a, a mobile app that I think can be really helpful if you can't afford therapy right now. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, self practices you could do, which I think is mm-hmm. just great because not we're in America. Not everybody can afford therapy, unfortunately. Right. Um, so this question came from Leah one three four on NoCD, and she is struggling with. Um, intrusive sexual fantasies about cheating on her partner and she wants to know what would be the appropriate exposure to practice and the most OCD possible way of having this question she put it in ABC format as if there's only three possible options (laughs) and she already knows them (laughs) Um, A. Writing out the obsession of cheating sexual fantasy B. Writing an actual scenario of, of me cheating C, writing out the fantasy and leaving the question with maybe it's cheating, maybe it's not, so there's uncertainty. So I think what she's asking is how to write a proper script that Mm -hmm. can help her um, practice ERP with this particular intrusive thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so scripts are good to... um, And I assume this is a she. It might not be a she. I want to correct that. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, uh, scripts, words, <laughs> scripts are used to expose ourselves to things that we cannot actually recreate. Um, so I coin them as like worst case scenarios. They can be kind of like nightmares or like scenes in a movie is how I like to describe it. Um, you would basically be rehashing the details. And I, this is how I word it. Like if I were watching you in a movie, you did in fact, um, cheat on your partner what would I see, right? Would I see that your partner is getting really angry? Now you're left upset because you're responsible for his suffering and then none of your friends want to talk to you mm. anymore either and you just feel like a really horrible person and then you wind up killing yourself or I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. What is the worst case scenario? Yes. Um, and then you would reread that over and over again to you know, expose yourself to that uncomfortable possibility. Yes. Yeah, I want to hop on that and say, as someone who's done ERP and has OCD, is that you can cheat yourself in writing scripts or in doing ERP by being a really good writer, (laughs) you know, and like writing a script that's creative, but actually doesn't trigger you. So don't worry about like what words you use or how flowery the vocabulary is, whatever. Do the, say the things that trigger you the most and you know what those things are. So like be vulgar, be whatever it is, be descriptive about how you're going to cheat on your partner. Where is it going to happen? You know, what position are you, you know, whatever it is, like Mm -hmm. do it all. You're going to think, oh my God, I could never say that out loud. And that's exactly the script you have to do because you have to say it over and over. And then, you know, 15, 16, 17 times after saying it, you're like, what are these words coming out of my mouth? And that's mm-hmm. when you start to disidentify with the, the, the monster that you think you're dealing with. And it's actually just some words on paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So next question comes from somebody on Reddit. God bless Reddit OCD. Oh, Wonderful place for compulsions. Um, <laughs> they asked, uh, how long does it typically take to see prog- progress in OCD treatment? Uh, progress happens actually pretty quickly in my opinion. So within the first three weeks, you can typically expect about a 35% reduction in your symptoms. Usually people will tell me after like their first or second ERP session that they're noticing like the concept behind it and they're already starting to apply it to other areas. Um, although we do want to know, note that doing ERP, the goal is not to necessarily reduce or get rid of, but to create a different relationship with our stress. Right. Um, but it is, it is pretty um, quick to be effective. But try not to do ERP with a sense of urgency because then that typically is a sign you're doing ERP as a compulsion. Right. Um, so, that you, yeah. OCD gets tricky and has a lot of, like, tricks up its sleeve. Yes. Because um, even the last question, you were saying, um, you know, write the thing that's the most triggering, blah, blah, blah which is very valid. And sometimes we're not triggered during an exposure and that's not bad necessarily either. Yeah. Um, so I, that was just like a side note, but yeah, yeah. Um, it does, it's pretty effective, pretty quick. Totally. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, if you find yourself not being triggered by your exposures, that is okay. And probably, I mean, we don't t- talk about signs and see there's no such thing as signs, but it's a good checkpoint for yourself of like, I think I'm starting to get the hang of these things. I think I'm starting to kind of like understand why I'm not anxious about this anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
uh, this, another question they had was how do you address relapse prevention in treatment? Mm -hmm. And I think that goes into another thing of when you start to feel uh, progress is you your OCD brain will kick into another gear and say, well, okay, cool, but now we have to protect ourselves at all costs from ever relapsing or feeling these feelings again. So you kind of enter this protection mode where you start to avoid you avoid going into scenarios where you think you might reactivate mm -hmm. your OCD, which is not the point mm. of treatment, I, I think. Right. No, you're right. Um, my best, again, probably not the answer everyone wants to hear, but you will quote unquote relapse in the sense of you will have a day where your OCD feels very forefront. Yeah. Um, you, you're going to have a day where you feel really crappy. You're going to have a week where you feel really crappy and um, again, that's part of the treatment is you're accepting that life ebbs and flows. And whenever the, sh the other shoe decides to drop, trust that you'll be able to handle it. But again, yeah. we're not going to create that self-fulfilling prophecy of today might feel fine, but oh my God, what if I relapse? Yeah. Great. I don't want to actually experience it twice, right? I'm not going to experience it today. And then when it actually happens, I'll right. just deal with it then. Right. That's a really good, yeah, that's a good way to put it because... I definitely struggle with that refractory period of like starting to improve, mm -hmm. but then like, well, I don't know. Cause then I don't want to like jinx it. You know, I don't, the magical thinking that OCD can really, uh, instill in you is that you have somehow you have the power to create things that aren't there or like will yourself back into a spiral again. And, um, Really, I mean, if you're going to get into a spiral, you're going to get into a spiral. That's just, that's part of being alive, you know. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, like you said, it's more about dealing with the, having the tools today and building those tools so that if you do spiral, t you know, tomorrow or a month from now or two years from now, you, you can accept it, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's that, mm -hmm. it's that inner fortitude of like, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to, but if I do... I'll be able to navigate it and that'll be a problem for, mm -hmm. for then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When in doubt, just say, I don't know. Cause you don't. Yes. No yes. That's my favorite uh, way to describe ERP to people is, um, is like this guy emoji, like the, yeah. the shrugging guy is like, that's, that's it. I mean, to boil it down to the most simplest terms, mm -hmm. cause your, your OCD is going to give you so many questions of, well, do we, do we have this? Um, is it safe to, you know, step on that crack? Is it whatever? And all you can just do is like throw your hands up and go, maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it breaks the cycle. So yeah, it's a great, it's a great little, it's my little mental image. It's just a little emoji guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. And that's why I say I'm not concerned if someone's not triggered. Cause usually if someone's not triggered, it's actually a good indication they're saying to themselves they don't know and they're not trying to figure it out. Because the irony is usually when people are anxious, it's because they're ruminating. Yeah. And, I, you know, again, I keep saying this, but I'm, I think it's just important because I'm sure there's people who are listening who don't have OCD but might have just anxiety in general. Anytime I'm feeling anxious, I have to take a step back. and I'm like, I've been ruminating for the last 20 minutes, right? Yeah. Um, and so the very thing anxiety is trying to get you to avoid feeling is actually creating that feeling to mm -hmm. be way more likely to happen. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's it's, just my side note. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so parad it's so paradoxical. Like the thing you think you're not 
supposed to think about or do or feel is like what you need to just dive head first in. And I think sometimes yeah. I'm guilty of like ERPing my friends, like, <laughs> or my like sister uh -oh. or whatever, like not like, you know, not in any kind of overtly messed up way, but just like, <laughs> if I, if I feel somebody, even if they're not OCD, you know, clinically diagnosed or whatever, but if I feel someone kind of like acting out like compulsions or avoidance or whatever, like I'll just say the thing that I know is like very triggering in that moment. And they'll kind of be like taken aback. Like you said, mm. you, you said that, like, that's not, it's not okay. It's like, what made that not okay? You know, like what those, they're just words that I just now exist and now they're gone, okay. you know, like to actually teach people, you can say things and them not mean anything is, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. It's a hard concept to grasp. Mm-hmm. Um, another question, this is actually from a, a friend of mine. We'll, we'll just call her C. Um, how do you balance a real traumatic event that happened in your life um, mm -hmm. or a traumatic time period with um, OCD telling you that this is um, – you know, something you need to be concerned about. Like, how do you balance this very real experience you've had with, is it just OCD? If that makes sense. Do you mean like, cause a lot of the, what I think this person is asking, a lot of the symptoms that are a product of experiencing something traumatic might be seen as like compulsions, right? So like avoiding, for example, or like, uh, maybe trying to figure out if it was your fault or whatnot. They're, it's very similar. Yeah, I think what the asker might be, I'm presuming here, but like uh, is like not wanting to, like setting boundaries or whatever to not go back into that traumatic place. But mm -hmm. is that your OCD just acting up and saying, you know, we're avoiding this because it's uncomfortable, et cetera. Mm. You know, mm. what's that line there? Because it's there... There is such a thing as real things that happen in life, like real traumatic things yeah. do happen. How do we delineate when it's just OCD? Yeah, I, I honestly don't think it's important to delineate. It's actually treated very similar. So trauma is treated using what's called prolonged exposure. It's essentially the same as exposure response. There's little nuances that are different, but... Um, the thing that we misunderstand about trauma is, oh my God, let's not talk about it. We don't need to go there. You don't need to talk to that person. You don't need to like go to that event, whatever. That's exactly what the person needs to do because what you're teaching the person who's experienced something upsetting is that they don't have to still be scared of something that happened in the past. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take back that you've experienced something that's very um, upsetting, yeah. but at the end of the day, again, not to sound callous, but you know, say you experience something traumatic, just because you experienced it once doesn't mean it's more likely for it to happen again. And if we're going to navigate our life with the assumption that it will, mm. um, we're not fully engaging in life. Bad things happen. If you could have prevented that original traumatic thing from happening, you would have. Right. Um, and you can't. So it's re-exposing yourself to that traumatic event. It sounds, uh, I, I remember one time I was trying to tell my mom what I do for work when I shifted to doing ERP it sounds like you're torturing those people <laughs> um but with trauma you would have them rehash the details of the upsetting event over and over and over mm. again which sounds like why would you make someone do that it's like well why would you encourage someone to do that because I don't ever make anyone do anything um 
Uh, but it's to teach them that A, they can handle it. B, that that scary thing, like re-saying it, it starts to become words, right? Yeah. Um, that's why the first time someone rehashes their traumatic event, they're usually emotional, crying, right? Mm. The 50th time they do it, they're not responding that way. Right. Um, so I don't, to, <laughs> that was a long answer, but I wouldn't, I would say don't, there's no uh, need to delineate the two. They're treated very similar. I love that. Um, one more question. One last question is actually one my sister wanted me to ask you, which uh-huh. is kind of along the similar similar lines of is it OCD? Is it not? But and I identify with this one because I struggled with you know specifically health anxiety, health OCD for a while myself. Is the same kind of thing. Is like when you are dealing with a, a health issue, and mm-hmm. you're having at least you think you're having real symptoms, you know, say your, your stomach is having pain. And, um, but when is it, when, when are you taking it to an unhealthy level? And like, what is that balance of self-advocacy in health, which is Mm -hmm. kind of a thing now with the medical system being such a mess. Mm -hmm. Um, and when is it obsessing, ruminating? How, How do we find a balance to, take care of our health, yet not feed the cycle? Yeah, good question. Um, So two things pop up. So perfection is not the goal. Mm. So never doing any compulsive like behaviors is never the goal. Um, And I'm actually going to self-disclose a little bit here because I think it's helpful because I don't have OCD, um, but I treat OCD. So it's funny because, it's not funny, it's interesting because almost everything I do, I can't do without thinking of one of my uh, clients because <laughs> I'm like, this is definitely a compulsion technically. Yeah. Um, but again, I do not have OCD. And the reason I bring this up is because um, someone who has OCD, I think when they go through treatment, they're almost over aware and they want to make sure that they are doing treatment perfectly, which we can love and appreciate, Mm. but also you're not meant, the goal is not that you're perfect at this. Yeah. And so think of it in terms of, is this clinically impairing? So what your life looks like and how you respond to it is going to be different and manageable than another person who has OCD. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't put like a number or an amount on like what's quote unquote normal. It's what's interfering with your life. Mm. Um, cause again, like I've Googled before the just, I, I was joking with my friend. She's a PA. They, uh, I don't know if anyone else notices, but they release your blood results to you before the doctor gets them. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm very, I'm very aware. <laughs> I, I I was joking with my colleague, but not really. I was like, I may have like a twinge of some health stuff, but I feel really bad for some of the people I treat who have like pure health anxiety. Because oh, yeah. like I was sent down a spiral. And again, I'm disclosing this because I don't have OCD. And I was, yeah. uh, Friday, I was Googling for a good hour about <laughs> what, something. What does, uh, you know, like 0. 0.73, uh, whatever, you yeah. know, lymphocytes H-C- mean. HCV yeah. slash DL. What does that mean on Google? Yeah. yeah. And you get, you get a lot of results now, you know, oh, I used to live for those uh. early test results before the doctor came in, you know, cause then you're like, I get to be the one who, uh, decides what I have, not you. Cause whenever they come in, they're like, you're healthy as a horse, man. I'm like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
But yeah, I don't, I typically don't disclose a lot, but again, I'm doing it in the sense of I don't have OCD and I want to normalize that even if you don't have OCD, you're going to do these behaviors. So having OCD, you're going to expect that you're going to ruminate and you're going to advocate for yourself or maybe scroll down Google spiral. Yeah. And I think that this is important because I think one of the best things you can learn about yourself is that you're not perfect and act in accordance with that. Because I think a lot of people know logically they're not perfect, but their behaviors don't match up. So if they catch themselves Googling for an hour, they're beating themselves up over it, right? Right. Well, I was Googling Friday morning. I was like, I know that this is excessive. I need to just wait for the doctor to call me, but I'm doing it anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm scared, right? Yes. And so that was like a, like a I want to say a normative response. And mm. so um, hopefully people who are listening can realize too, like you're, you're going to do things that are quote unquote compulsions. Everyone yeah. does. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't number it or label it as too much or too little. Just make sure it's not interfering with your life is what yeah. I would say. It's a great answer. It was a very long answer. Oh, she'll appreciate <laughs> it. I'm sure. Well, this has just been so nice to have this conversation. I think it's going Agreed. to help a lot of people. That's the goal. Hopefully a lot of people will listen to it. If it helps two people, it was you and me. <laughs> Yes, we were both very greatly impacted by this. Yeah, I'm, I, we're like trying to record this in like seven different ways. So hopefully something came through. Either way, it's been great. Um, yeah. With this, uh, the podcast is called Comforting Chaos. So mm. what is something for you right now that has been providing you comfort amongst the chaos that human life just can be? Mm. Ooh, that's a deep one. It doesn't uh, have to be deep. It could be incredibly shallow too. Like it could be, you know, Game of Thrones or yeah. whatever. I, I, this is what I always come back to is that nothing lasts for forever. And I think that can sound pessimistic or great either way you spin it, but that's just life. And I think that's the comfort I get is if things aren't feeling good. Um, it won't be like this for forever. Mm. And, um, when they do feel good, I can enjoy it and know that, you know, the other end of the, the other side of the coin is just as important as like the sunny side. So mm. I love that. I don't think that's most people's like uh, phrase of comfort, <laughs> but it is mine. It's <laughs> Nothing my, lasts forever. My first tattoo is this is temporary and yeah. it's just, it's so true. Yeah, I know. And I know we're like ending. I'm like, but wait, I have one more thing to no, say. No, I think like, again, it's so much of, because when I say the same thing about um, like life lives at a medium, I think people see that as a pessimistic way to, to view it. Or like, I was going to get the word uh, Santosha tattooed on me because it means contentment. Mm. And people are like, why would you want to be content? I'm like, being content doesn't mean I don't want to still make strides and progress in my life. It means that I'm allowing myself to enjoy life and know that I want to, mm. you know. So I think a lot of, because we've talked a lot about different definitions today, like acceptance, forgiveness, contentment. Yeah. yeah. Those are ways that you can define it for yourself and it doesn't have to be pessimistic. Sure. And like you said, it's the going all the way back is like, contentment is a state of being it's not a fleeting emotion it is a, it is a, a grounded place of accepting that living life as a human is going to have a myriad of experiences and ups and downs and happiness and depression and contentment is to be able to sit within yourself when all of those things are coming and going or acceptance or what like you said whatever word you want to use and that is kind of the definition of that sums up the whole conversation here is that 
finding that seat of contentment, of acceptance, of presence allows you to be free from the chasing of the highs, the rejections of the lows, the any of it. So I love that. Mm-hmm. You should get the tattoo. <laughs> oh, I have a I have a lotus flower, which means you have to go through difficult things to blossom at the top. So. I love that. Nice. But yeah, no, it was so nice to talk to you. Thanks for yeah, thank uh, you. Any having me. anything you want to share about yourself, about um, how people can, if they're struggling with um, intrusive thoughts or what they think might be OCD, how can they get in touch with you or the company you work for? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I do work for an OCD. You can visit treat my I also have my own practice. You can find me on psychology today. Um, and I'm sure you'll probably link my Instagram handle cause it's annoying to spell, sure. but it's yep. just mental health underscore Medina underscore. Um, if you find me on there, say hi, I don't bite. And, uh, hopefully you enjoy my, <laughs> my obnoxious reels. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. And also one last thing. Uh, I met someone recently they live in Raleigh and uh-huh. we were talking and we started talking. I think somehow OCD came up like it always does. And she's like, Oh, I have OCD too. I was like, Oh, cool, cool, cool. You know? Yeah. I don't really know if I have it anymore. I went to no CD. I went to no CD too. And I was like, no way. Oh, wow. who, who is your therapist? And she was like, uh, Medina. And I was like, oh, oh so no what? <laughs> And then you guys got to talk all the shit about me if you wanted to. We both shared how, like, uh, respectfully terrified we were of you most of the time. And like your mom said, like, you're just torturing people, but in a way that helps them. (laughs) So, guys, sign up for No CD and get tortured by Medina. It's great. It'll change your life. But, no, really, working with you and No CD without a doubt changed my life. And so I'm just grateful Mm -hmm. and thank you for coming here and sharing your wisdom. Of course, you too. And I hope I never see you again. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) All right, Medina, have a great rest of your weekend. All right, y'all, that was Medina Alam. All of the links to get in touch with her or find out what it is she does and no CD will be in the show notes for this episode. Please stay tuned. Next week, I've got another episode coming out with an amazing guest. Her name is Windsor Flynn, and we're going to get into sharing experiences as both people who have suffered and are still challenged with OCD and so much more. So stay tuned, like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Appreciate it, y'all, and go out and love each other. Peace.